Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Your ears do not deceive you. You have just entered the Cryptid Creator Corner brought to you by your friends at Comic Book Yeti. So without further ado, let's get on to the interview. Hello, and welcome to Comic Book Yeti's Cryptid Creator Corner. I am one of your hosts, Jimmy Gasparro, and I am very excited as uh, today. Uh, as I'm, I'm always excited because I get to talk to creators of comic books, and I love comic books. And uh, you know, thank you for listening to me uh, go on and on uh, about how much I love comic books and the folks that uh, make them. I have two guests tonight, and. Um, at the time we're recording this, their Kickstarter for their newest comic book is launching tomorrow. So when you're hearing this, you can go right to the link and check out the Kickstarter for a comic called The Laundrymen. I have with me the co-creators of that, Stephen Call and Lyndon Rachenka. Uh, Stephen, Lyndon, how are you doing today? Doing pretty well. It's a, it's a, it's a nice night out here. <laughs> it, it's It's freezing for the record, but... No, doing super well, super excited for this Kickstarter and this book and, you know, super excited to come on and, and chat. I'm a big fan of Comic Book Yeti and all the, the work you guys do. So it's always, it's always nice to talk to people who love indie comics as much as we do. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, thank you very much. It's very nice of you to say. Um, and so this is the first time we're <clears throat> kind of talking, you know, uh, via zoom we did a, a written interview which folks can go check out afterwards for an anthology that you were both a part of the dead work um collective i think it was called which uh was really good um and so i, I know we have a lot to talk about so i, I don't want to get caught up in things because Lyndon, i also started talking to folks who are attorneys who are creators and recovering attorneys and i know you're I think in your Twitter bio it says attorney, but not right now. So I want I I do want to circle back to that. <laughs> but the first thing I want to hear about is the laundryman. I, you sent it. You were nice enough to send it to me. I read it today. Um, speaking of lawyering, I have a, a brief to write that's due Monday. I needed a break, and I was like, oh, perfect. I have this comic to read, and I loved it. I'm a big fan of any type of like detective monster kind of mashup shows you know a little supernatural um uh and i really like the dynamic between your two main characters brian and wade but folks uh you know our listeners probably don't want to hear me talk about it but they want to hear from from both of you so i'll turn it over to you so kind of just start off telling us what is the laundryman about well i'll let steven tell you about what the laundryman is about but if we're looking to further entice uh listeners here it's not just jimmy that likes uh the laundryman we've also passed this through scott snyder who also has said that he likes this book um so on our kickstarter you'll be able to see his great words about it too and uh, we're hoping to have a few more uh blurbs come in over the the course of the campaign and we'll keep updating those as people say nice things so thank you for being one of them maybe we'll quote you too (laughs) well i i think i think i'm uh, uh much lower on the list than scott snyder who I mean, for my money is just one of my, I mean, which is uh, with Scott Snyder and Jock is probably one of my favorite comic books of of all time. So 
Uh, high praise indeed if Scott uh, enjoys your comic book. <laughs> oh, he, he said 100% this book deserves the our, your support, listener. So go to our Kickstarter at laundryman.ca. Support, yeah. That's laundryman.ca. Support was used. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Stephen, yeah. what's uh, The Laundryman about? Uh, the Laundryman is our, is our forthcoming book. It comes out uh, tomorrow, but as of right now, it's available right now for when you're listening to this. And that's our story about two mercenary monster hunters named Brian and Wade. And uh, they're your first experience with one of their missions. Uh, they, this first mission that, that, uh, that we're reading about takes them to a small town where happens to be uh, Wade's, small, Wade's hometown, where uh, they run into a lot of uh, issues and stuff to do with their friends and uh, some monsters. You see a couple monsters in the book, and and uh, it's a it's a it's a heck of a time. It was it's a great book. I'm sure Lennon's got a little more to say about it as well. <laughs> we like we like to describe it as Ghostbusters meets X Files with a little bit of supernatural. But Stevens bang on. Uh, this is the first case um, in print of the Lorman. It's issues in that we're kickstarting. So it's about eight. It's going to be about eighty pages, and. Um, the way we've structured the book is you're getting the entire the entire first case rather than just you know the first part or just the first 22 page issue, um, but that's a that's a great summary of what this particular book is about. Yeah, it. Uh, I mean, it's um, it, it's a lot of story packed in there, and it real it is a complete story. I'd say there's definitely an opportunity for other stories told in this uh, in this in this universe. Um, the one thing I would add in terms of things like the TV show Supernatural, which I was a big fan of, but uh, that that having been on the air so many years, I really think they tried to capture at times like a, a younger type of dynamic or, or feel to it. I mean, TV has been kind of odd ever since, you know, Kevin Williamson kind of reinvented TV at a certain point. And I feel like every time a, a new show comes along, it was Supernatural and then it was like Riverdale. There's kind of like a reinvention of uh, television for the that. 18 to 49 demographic. What I really like about Brian and Wade's relationship was it reminded me of like an older, like a TV show from like the late seventies or, you know, or like the, the early eighties. Like it kind of had a dynamic of things that like as a 43 year old person that feels very old, but still uh, thinks I'm younger, but in any event, someone who's been watching TV for 40 some years, it, it, it felt very familiar and comfortable to me and something that I just hadn't seen in a while. Cause I feel like that type of relationship and dynamic and these older kind of cops with these developed relationships and not necessarily an origin story. I was like hungry for it. So I really, really appreciated the dynamic between the two of them. Thank yeah, you. That was really, oh, that was really important to us. Um, when, when writing the book, um, we created the laundryman with the intention of like a monster of the week type of progression. Um, but then it became apparent to us that you really needed to learn these characters in that first issue in that first book. So it's this first book is really very much about exactly what you said, Jimmy, which is like uh, developing the relationship that these guys already have, like sh- finding a way to show the audience their old lasting friendship in 80 pages and so it gave us the chance to explore the issues that they might be dealing with through just straight up their dialogue be it in uh, on a road trip or or uh or in a diner or something like that like 
what really matters is the way they interact with each other, like their facial expressions, but also uh, key dialogue points and stuff. So, yeah. yeah, it was really important when we were looking at how we wanted to start this series off um, to really dig into the character relationships, as Stephen said. And that's because if you're looking to tell a long form story or long form series, and you're dealing with that sort of monster of the week, case by case storytelling, what, what essentially ties the book together then is the relationship between the characters. And it's why it was so important to us to get that out front early and in this first book. It was an intentional choice to only build the world out to a certain extent and really take the time to, uh, or really give the reader time, spend, uh, spend time with the characters and understand how to get along because those are the two consistents that are going to be um, present for the rest of the series, however long it may go. Yeah, and I, I think that was uh, I, I, a really smart choice um, because you you kind of, um, it, it starts with, I mean, I, I guess arguably in, in another context would be like a cold open to kind of introduce the characters, although things heat up quickly. Um, and you there is a lot of like smaller moments in the panels where you kind of get a sense of their the, the characters familiarity with their ch- with each other how they react to one another and you know as we see especially with Steven mentioned they head back to Wade's like old hometown there's still things that um Brian doesn't like fully know that are are, are developed and and I, it was just very interesting um I, I really appreciated that that aspect of it and plus there's a ton of action and a lot of fun and a lot of mystery. And I wasn't quite sure where it was going. And, um, you know, that is always enjoyable too. Um, and I, you know, I, I like that we heard references to some other, you know, creatures that, you know, you might not totally be familiar with. That was always like whenever there was a supernatural or X-Files episode or something like that, where they mentioned something that was, you know, maybe a little out of the ordinary was always kind of, you know, kind of exciting. Um, you know, so how did the two of you work in terms of developing the idea? You know, did one of you kind of, hey, I got this idea to do this and the other joined in? Like, kind of how did that work with the two of you? Because I know you've been working together for quite some time. Um, yeah, so... The the idea I think Lin, Linus is the idea came straight from me and I think I do totally remember your idea <laughs> yeah it's totally um, idea but yeah it was it, there was just a moment it was after we had made our first book um, I can't I took a very short break from comics at one point I can't remember if this was before or after I think it was slightly before and I came to Linden with the idea of doing a like a small town traveling like police drama um with like a heavy emphasis on like black suits and cigarettes and grizzled faces um i wanted to keep it like decade agnostic so people could get you know almost relate to it depending on what era they're from um and i don't know if it was a no it was originally a supernatural idea but uh so that's kind of how our our stories happen one of us comes to the other with like a spark of an idea and then tells the other person. And then we literally just don't stop talking until we have like an entire story fleshed out. So we have characters built. Um, we might not have names. A lot of the names come, I found all the names come from Lyndon. 
uh, in the script writing. Um, and we just don't stop till we know what's going to happen. So each of us can kind of go back to the drawing board and come back with our own stuff, be it for me, like images or for Lyndon, um, like expanded plot points and, and, and mystery and dialogue, and then eventually a full script and then me full art. So. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious though, in terms of how that like happens when you're, when you're breaking, when you're breaking the story and you're like, all right, we got this idea. Do you like divvy it up early on and say, I'm going to work on this. I'm going to work on that. Or do you just kind of like, let it gestate and say, Hey, I think we, they should do A, B, C, and D. And like maybe Lyndon will say, well, I had this vision of them doing this thing. And then you kind of meld the two together. Like how, how do the mechanics of it actually work? Like in practice? You want to go for it, Lyndon? Yeah. It's, it's almost like a medium between both of those paths in that, um, you know, in this specific, actually very similar to our, our first book that Stephen and I, and I did infinite universe. Um, Stephen comes with a kernel, sort of an idea kernel. And then, you know, whether we're out having a drink at a bar, we're driving to the comic book shop to get our weekly comics, we workshop the idea back and forth until we have sort of a general plot outline. And when you get into, you know, the minutiae, the nitty gritty of that, there is pushback when ideas work or don't work. Um, But we don't necessarily stop the other person. We sort of follow the path of the idea as far as we can. And we're really open to pivoting if something else comes up along that along that road. Um, And then once we have sort of a general concept of an idea, um, then I get to run off and start scripting it or doing a story outline. Um, I'll do a story outline and I'll send it to Steven for his input. Once we tweak that, then I can start scripting it. And then I give it to uh, give it to Steven to do the art and he does whatever he wants with the script, whether it's following it or completely disregarding it. Uh, and then he sends it back and I get to, I get to letter it cause I'm also a letterer. Um, so it's really, a it's almost a fly by the seat of your pants creation process at the beginning. Uh, but because we've known each other as long as we have, which is, I don't know, going on a decade at this point. Um, we have a, a really strong mutual respect and friendship, and we're not afraid to push back on ideas and make suggestions to tweak things uh, to make them better. So more than more times than I can count, I know Stephen is. I've come with an idea, and Stephen had said, "Yeah, this is this is fine, but I don't know that it necessarily fits. I don't. I think this can be better." Um, and that's fine. That's that's part of the creative process. So it really is a, a collaborative relationship right from from the word go yeah same same thing here sometimes i'll come with just a bombastic idea and, and Lyndon will be like maybe maybe that's a character for the next book <laughs> or, <laughs> or like, that. or like yeah. that's a great moment but what's the story yeah 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 oh man yeah that's funny uh so steven let me start with you though in terms of like kind of how how did you get your start were you um you know as a, as an artist were you Someone, you know, I always ask folks, were they always drawn as a kid? Did you come to it later? Like, um, or and a lot, I mean, everyone draws as a kid, right? For the most part. And not everyone sticks with it and develops that craft. What was, uh, what was it for you? Yeah, I was definitely the kid who drew. Um, I, uh, man, as far, I mean, all through school, I can even remember like a drawing I did in kindergarten and, and just continually progressing on that. And, 
Um, I, I do remember like through the years, I always felt like I was like the best drawer in class, right? And it was maybe it was a, a it's, I should have been humbled a little more. Um, but and then every time somebody would come in and do a drawing, I'd be like, that's that's better than mine. Uh, I need to do better than that. Um, but then throughout the years, like I would, uh, I kind of got into comics, but it really was like um, more like just the big things like Spider-Man and Batman and stuff like that. And mostly Spider-Man trying to draw the webbing and stuff like that. Um, but uh, it just, as the years went on, I just kept drawing and drawing and drawing. And um, when I grad, I did art class all the way through school, but never really felt like I needed to do comics or anything like that. And then I did my fine arts degree at our local university and, uh, and that basically killed art for me. And I, I like didn't draw or anything for like a year. Like I drew like my entire life. And then like I graduated university and I was like, this sucks. And I just like stopped drawing. Oh, and wow. then, uh, yeah. Yeah. And then I started painting again about a year later. And then that's what got me doing shows. By then I already knew Lyndon. And, um, uh, and then that's when we started talking comics and, and we have our history there from there. And I think if I look at it broadly, art's just always been a very important thing to me and like people creating really cool things for, for other people to see, read, or just like Marvel and is, uh, 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 I don't know. That's always been really important to me, whether I'm drawing it or I'm taking some, you know, somebody else's art in. And uh, I'm just really happy today to be like, to have it be such a big part of my life. It's, it's really cool. That's yeah. awesome. Was there anything yeah. in particular that brought you back to, to painting after a year? Uh, I, I just got, I just got the, just the itch to do art again. I think the, uh, I, I, the shock of the university degree that I, I, I finished finally wore off and, and I was, Actually, I remember. Yeah, yeah. So it was, yeah, the shock kind of wore off. Then I started looking into art and I found this artist named uh, Greg Simkins. He goes by Crayola. It's like the word Crayola without the Ys, C-R-A-O-L-A. And he does like these surrealist like acrylic paintings. And I was like, I want to do that. And I just started doing that stuff. Um, and and then from there, started doing comics. So, yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, glad glad you're glad you found your way into yeah. into comics. Um, Me yeah. too, <laughs> <laughs> right? So, L- Lyndon, as the you know the writer, scripter, and um, the letterer as well, um, kind of what's been your relationship with with storytelling and with comics in particular? Were you always a fan of comics, or did you always want to be a writer? And we'll talk about lawyering in there at some point. <laughs> Well, the lawyering part is a really important part of that story. So I will get to it. But like okay. any, you know, like any 90s kid, I grew up watching Batman cartoons and Adam West and, you know, the Spider-Man cartoons. And, you know, I'd pick up the occasional comic when I was out with my parents, but it was never something that um, I read constantly. Um, I was much more into TV and, and movies. and then. At some point in my late teens, I think I got, you know, a little pretentious and thought, I want to read what the real stories are, the original stories. And those come from the comic books. Uh, And so when I was, I don't know, 17 or 18, I went out to the comic shop, uh, my local comic shop, uh, and 
picked up some comics, including, you know, Scott Snyder's Batman with, with Greg Capullo. And from there I was sort of off to the races and I was reading what all basically whatever was going on in the new 52 at the time in DC. Um, I went off and did university also. My first degree was in English with a, a theater minor and to pay for school. I was working at a bar with Steven, who was also a bartender at the time. And that's how we met. So I met Steven while doing my English degree. And then when that finished, he and I went uh, to San Diego Comic-Con together. Uh, I was lucky enough to win a cup, or I was lucky enough to win a ticket. Steven, I think, got his through the, lo- the, the San Diego lottery for tickets. Okay. Um, yeah, I, l- I lucked out. I got three out of four days. It was awesome. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So we went to San Diego Comic-Con together and we, you know, neither of us had made comics at that point, but we kept saying that we saw all these indie comics and we kept saying, you know, we should, we should do this. We could do this. We should, we should, we should totally do this. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So then we came home. We didn't, we didn't do any of that. Um, And I got accepted to law school and I moved away to do that. And in the midst of my first year, uh, I realized that I had no creative outlet whatsoever because I went from an English degree where I was acting on the, in like on stage and in front of cameras and writing and doing short fiction. And uh, now I was in a law degree that didn't have any of that. And mm-hmm. uh, luckily, right around the time that my first year was ending, Stephen approached me and he said, hey, you know, we should really try making this comic that we've been talking about for three years at this point. Um, I kind of have an idea. Are you interested? And you know, when an artist comes and asks you if you want to make a comic with them, you say yes. Like, yeah. there's not, you don't say anything else. Yeah, uh, I agree. So we did our creative process where we bounced ideas back and forth. We came up with our, the idea for our first book, uh, Infinite Universe. We started working on it. Uh, I did a script and I sent it off to Steven and then I sat on my hands and went crazy. And that's when I decided I was going to become a little better. Um, because it felt like I needed to contribute more to the the creative collaboration. Um, okay. So I read a whole bunch of resources online, Blambot, Comicraft. Um, I actually found a really cool online course by John Roshel teaching comic lettering. And I started picking up some some freelance stuff for lettering, all while relettering our own comic like five or six times through as oh, I wow. as I continually got better. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, after about a year, we finished the book, we self published it, and we started taking it to shows. Um, it was subsequently republished by a small local publisher a couple of years later, but that's how we got our start in comics and. It was just sort of the right place at the right time, meeting the right people, willing to and willing to put in the work. Wow, I mean that's you know just what a circuitous journey you know uh, folks take some time. Um, I'm curious. Talk to me about being a a a theater minor. What type of theater were you um, were you involved in while you were doing that? You mentioned acting. So is that what you mainly focused on? You like to act. 
Um, well, I got into theater. <laughs> this is going to sound like such a cop-out answer. I got into theater courses because I was looking to fill requirements for my English major. Mm-hmm. And theater, academic theater courses were basically you read the play and you talk about and you talk about the script. Okay. And uh, that, so it was basically like read reading a book, but a lot simpler. It was like a smaller book because every play is essentially done in 90 minutes to 120 minutes. So you can read the script in roughly that time. So the readings in the co- courses were very easy. Um, but I loved the profs that I had and the, and the material. And um, actually, I stand by to this day that working with theater scripts really helped me develop an ear for dialogue in writing for comics. I find that yeah. skill um, sort of irreplaceable from that time. But I was lucky enough that there was a production of Tennessee Williams suddenly last summer being staged for our local fringe show here. And um, I had been in an acting for camera course. And one of my clips that I had done that we'd recorded, I guess I had done well enough that my prof, my theater prof recommended me to the student director who was doing that production. So that's how I got my start on stage. And it it's so much fun to do that sort of work. Mm-hmm. I would absolutely do it again but um i've did done some some tennessee williams and then i was part of an alumni production uh doing lysistrata which is an old greek play and then i was off to go toil in the law <laughs> oh, that's funny uh yeah i i just asked because i i, I mean, i'm a big i'm a big fan of theater i i like i like musical theater and i like all types mm-hmm. of theater i had a theater scholarship to St. Joe's where I, where I went, I, I was a psychology major, but you didn't have to major in fine or performing arts at St. Joe's to have a scholarship. You just had to take part in the like cap and bells was the name of the, uh, the club at, at St. Joe's. So I, I always like when I get to talk to folks who have some type of connection, um, you know, to theater still or, or, or in me the too. Past. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Um, I mean, every once in a while, I miss it. I have a friend that's still involved in like a local community theater, and he'll he'll ask, "Do you want to do?" Something? And I'm like, "Yeah, I, I feel like I had my I, I had my time." You know, it's yeah. been a long time. I think it's been you know over ten years or so since I've been on a stage. But when I did oh, it, I loved it. Late. It's <laughs> never too late. And it also the other thing that I'll give theater credit for, aside from the dialogue thing, is that acting on stage um, really helps or was really a soft skill that I brought to law school with me that a lot of people wish that they had. Sorry, you, you broke up there a little. What did you say, Lyndon? Yeah. Oh, my, sorry, my apologies. I was saying that um, the other skill that my theater minor gave me was the soft skill of acting that I got to bring to law school that really helped me. And I think that uh, a lot of my classmates wish that they had sort of the same comfort talking in front of people that you you are sort of forced into when you have that sort of education. Oh, yeah. I mean, um, yeah, there was no doubt when I was in law school that I was going to be a trial attorney. <laughs> I mean, that was <laughs> I was not going to be transactional or somebody who, you know, did those types of things like I was definitely going to no, be something with some flair, right? Yeah. yeah, I was going to have the opportunity to like talk to a judge or a jury or, you know, something along those lines. Um, well, that's great. 
Um, so how have you, you know, what, what do you think the differences are in terms of where the two of you are? Um, as I told Stephen before we started recording, I knew you were in Canada. Um, but in, I don't know if Canadians hate when I say that, uh, but in Canada, um, what do you think the differences are in the indie scene? Like there, it does like social media and being online kind of negate any of those borders or, um, is there still like an important like local scene for conventions? I know I'm sure it's been difficult the past three years now with the, with the pandemic, but what is that like local community like? Yeah. I mean, the local community is amazing. Um, and I, I'd want to guess, I'm pretty sure everybody's got a local community like that somewhere in their town or their city. Um, ours has just been it's just uh, infinitely helpful and supportive and like, like, and vice versa, like us for people and, and, and people for us. Um, it, I've honestly been thinking about this a lot today, like, um, uh, about like, how do you get into comics? And like, my answer, like, is, is truly like find a way into your community. Um, whether that's, uh, you know, getting a table at the local show, or uh or or going to a course somewhere that's taught by someone um because that that is your local community i once you start learning from people and helping people that grows and and you just you have people around you in there and i think um i don't think social media has diminished really any of that i i think it it's really enhanced it especially in our our area where we were able to communicate via discord or group chats or anything all the time um and and it's just still there and we all go to the same shows or like maybe we don't all go to the same shows but once we end up at a show that's in someone else's town we can meet up with them and collaborate like you mentioned uh dead work earlier and that that's like that book dead work is like the the physical embodiment of that community um in there it's like 22 stories by nine creators and uh something linden always says is it's like if you were to like try to build a diagram that shows how everybody like crossed over and held like which writers I worked with, which artists they worked with. It would just be like a spider web or like a mess of cables, like in the back of a TV in the nineties or something like that. And uh, yeah, the, the community is alive and strong here in Winnipeg and like, and really like uh, I believe it is everywhere because every town, every city we go to, like you link up with the local community there um and and it's just it's so cool like the number of people that are just in comics and like i don't know how it is in the states i know the states is a lot bigger than us uh, as far as population um but there's like uh, the, the, there's just like i don't know it's just so many people that are just doing comics and you can always just find them yeah well and there's one major secret to the canadian scene that i hope that um, all your Canadian listeners will take away from listening to this. And it's to understand how the grant system works in Canada. And that, you know, our book doesn't exist without um, the grant system here. And what that is, okay. is it's government funding to make things uh, where you keep all the rights and you give, like, you acknowledge their their generous support. So our book, The Lodgerman, um, book one exists because of the generous support of Winnipeg Arts Council and the Manitoba Arts Council. But we've received funding from the Canada uh, Canada Council for the Arts to produce books two and book three already. So up to nine issues. 
And what that means is that Stephen is paid a full page rate for his time. I'm paid a full rate to write and letter those books. And from my understanding, you know, we're extremely lucky here in Canada to have that available to us. Uh, so it's super, you know, it's beyond uh, for local can or for Canadian indie comic makers to understand how that system works or that it even exists because it removes so many barriers to making comics. We all know how expensive it is to make comics and any form of support that you can receive is, you know, a godsend. So if you are a Canadian indie comics maker and you are listening to this right now, go and look up the Canada Council for the Arts. Go and look up the Ontario Arts Council. Go and look up whichever provincial body is going to give you money to make things because they exist. I promise you there is at least one body that will exist that you can apply to for funding. And every council is like this small community of people. And like there's like music ones and comic ones and novel ones and you're you're basically filling out the application saying this is what I want to make, and they go I really like that. Here's some money. Um, it's it's pretty cool. Uh, like certain levels, there's a certain amount of clout you've got to had, be, be it a publishing credit or a, um, previous work that you've made or self published or um, something to show for like to show that you're like a sure thing. Um, but and they are competitive. Yeah. Okay. They're very competitive. Yeah. But like, there's no one genre. It's like just the spread that they just fund, and and it's just it's awesome. Like, it's so cool. They, yeah, they that's support amazing. the arts. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I know, I know. I mean, in the U.S., like, I mean, I've heard of like nonprofits or certain organizations providing grants. But I, I'm, I mean, if if they if something like that exists in the U.S., like on local levels, you know, I'm. I'm I'm ignorant of it. I'm not I'm not aware of it because I I I I think by now I would have, you know, heard about something um something similar. But that that's that's amazing. Um, mm -hmm. I feel like in the U.S. a lot of times I just we hear more about like arts funding being you know cut, um, mm -hmm. which is terrible. Um, you know, uh, but yeah, that is that is just an amazing like resource and an opportunity. Um. That's fantastic. I love that. Mm -hmm. So that's the secret to the Canadian yeah. art scene is make sure you know how. Yeah. It works. yeah. <laughs> that's the Canadian machine as it's called. <laughs> that, that's yeah. an important, We're coming that's, for you. A, that's like, uh, yeah, I think that's like the most, that's the most important thing that anyone has ever said on, on this podcast, because that is like the, di the direct way to get your thing made. I know it's competitive, as you said, but the fact that that resource and that opportunity to kind of have funding to be able to have support um, to create is, you know, is extraordinary. So that's awesome. Absolutely. Um, well, let's get back into the the laundryman and into the, the Kickstarter. W what are some, I mean, it's like an 80 page book. What are some of the other types of rewards? Uh, you know, as soon as folks are done listening, I encourage them the links in the show notes. Um, what types of things can they expect to get? Are there other like other comics available? Other add-ons? Um, why don't you tell the folks like what um what can they expect when they when they go to that page? Sure, Stephen, do you want to run through? It? Do you want me to run through it? I'll run through it here. Yeah. So just so so we got a few rewards tiers. Um, your first one is obviously you see it on every Kickstarter. It's the tip jar. No real reward, but you get to help us out, and that's a big reward <laughs> in itself. Um, we do have the digital tier. It's the full digital comic. And 
Uh, I'll mention with the Laundryman book one, all what we're asking for is going to allow us to print it in black and white. And the book looks amazing in black and white. We actually did a, uh, a short 100 unit run of the first issue last year as a convention exclusive. We sold them out in three shows. And it got to a point, I had colored the book, nice. but it got to a point where I'm like, oh my God, this looks so good in black and white. And we were people going, don't, don't color it. This looks really good. Um, but uh, so that's for going to be for like the first tier, you're getting it for $10. It's going to be the digital copy. Uh, next up, you can move up to the hard copy. So pretty standard stuff for a, for a book Kickstarter. That's $20 and you still get the digital copy as well. Um, you get up one more tier and I'll sketch in it for you. Um, and I, I do this pretty well. This is something we do all the time at, at conventions. So yeah, you'll get something nice in there. Um, <laughs> hopping up from there, it's a bigger bundle, but it's the, uh, it's the infinite studio comics bundle. So it's all the books we've done together. So that uh, includes The Laundryman. Um, it includes our uh, first book, Infinite Studio, Infinite Studio, Infinite Universe, um, which uh, I mean, we'll go through right now. Uh, Infinite Universe is a classic kind of hard sci-fi adventure. It's about five humans enhanced for space travel on the lookout for a new planet for humans to call colonize, to, for humans to uh, to live on. Um, and uh, it, it deals with the types of emotions and, and, and problems you run into when the planet you're looking for can support life and is already supporting life. Um, and so our, the book has its, has its emotional ups and downs and huge bombastic ending. And uh, it, it's, it, was our, it, was our it was a really good first jump out of the gate. Uh, the next one is What Will Not Last, which is a four-part anthology, four-part anthology. Yep. All written and lettered by Lyndon. He wrote four stories, and it's got a four-page story in it, which acts as almost a, a transition point or an epilogue for Infinite Universe. So it's about those same characters in that same universe. That one's drawn by me. Uh, we've got The Light Under the Door by one of our uh, uh, local community greats, Jim uh, Kamichuk. And it's just a wonderful-looking story. Like uh, the, the way he uses color in that one is great. Um, we've got, and I'm blanking hero man, which is the, uh, so this is, is it eight pages in there? It's eight pages, um, with artist Zach Schuster. And it's actually serves as a preview for a full length graphic novel that we plan to have published our, our publisher plans to have published in 2023 or not 23, 2024, early 2024. Um, so you can pick oh, that up awesome. as a preview for that book. Oh man. And then. It features uh, an early version of The Watcher, which, Jimmy, you would have read in Deadwork. Um, mm -hmm. This is airing on the 7th, so we can talk about this now. Dead, the Deadwork anthology has been nominated for a sequential magazine award for best graphic or best uh, comics anthology. Uh, so Deadwork is also included in this bundle. You can pick that up. It's oh, wow. you know, award Congrats. nominated. Thank That's you. That's awesome. This is the first time, I think this is the first time we've told anyone about it because this isn't airing until after it's allowed to be talked about. So okay. go back to Kickstarter on laundryman.ca and then go vote for us in the sequential yeah. magazine awards. And I really, um, I really enjoyed the dead work collective. I mean, I'm a big fan of anthologies anyway. I like a lot of different stories and um, I really enjoyed every one. There were a couple, I, I think 
if anyone goes back to the comic book Yeti article, I think I highlighted a couple in the article that I asked about that I really enjoyed. But I, I really liked every story in there. It's a really good anthology. And then the bundles rounded out with a hard copy of Stephen and I's short comic, When I Get Home, which is a comic that Stephen illustrated all 20 pages of, or almost all 20 pages, as part of 24-Hour Comics Day. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, so it's all, all inside of 24 hours. If I'm honest, with all the finishing touches I put on the book and the cover, I'd say it took me about 28 hours, but the bulk of the art was all done within 24 hours. Um, and so that, yeah, that's the hard copy you're getting with that. It does come with an exclusive print, uh, because we needed, we needed a board for the bag, for the bag and board, and there wasn't anything that size. So we just printed a, did a print for it. So that's the bag <laughs> and board. Yeah. Um, and, and that, yeah, I was going to ask with something like the 24 hour comic day, like, is there, yeah. is there something in the challenge of that, that you like, like, it just seems like, no, did, no, not at all. <laughs> Yeah. No, the challenge was what that yeah, getting over that challenge was huge. It, like it honestly felt really cool to do. Yeah. Um uh but like physiologically it was horrifying. Um subjecting your brain to like overheating that much while simultaneously your body temperature is dropping through the floor uh was was yeah. I swear like Joe Rogan of 2004 was in there yelling at us to go faster because it's like fear factor or something. Uh, <laughs> yeah, for the for the listener, the, the dear listener, yeah. um, for 24-hour comics day, Stephen and I locked ourselves in a bar with three other local creatives, GMB Kamichuk, uh, Justin Curry of Chasing Artwork, and our friend Mike Zastry. And we were later, we were in there from 3 p.m. to 3 p.m. the next day, uh, awake, working. And one of the yeah, uh, yeah one of the first things that happens when uh when you're awake is your body stops regulating your temperature properly so by the time the event ended we were all wearing toques and had our hoods up and we're shivering <laughs> um and we'd like m- collectively slept maybe three hours between the five of us oh my um, gosh i was none of was, that it was a ride i couldn't sleep yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. oh yeah Wow. Um, Steven, I wanted to ask you in terms of all the, the different types of store. And I, Lyndon, I'll ask you uh, a sim- similar question because I'm curious. Just with the different types of stories you've done, you've already mentioned some of the ones that, they, that uh, you know, uh, the backers can get in the different bundles, the different genres that you've done. Do you have one that you prefer? Like, is there something that you're like, you really get excited about when somebody says, oh, hey, it's it's a hard science fiction story. It's it's something supernatural related. It's, you know, it's a noir, it's crime. It's, is there anything in particular that you feel like, um, I'm good at this and I like to do it. I used to, I used to say like probably science fiction, like star Wars, star Trek, infinite universe. They all, you know, they all come from the same hat. Um, uh, the same amazing hat. Um, but, uh, I used to say it's science fiction, but like ever since like finishing laundrymen and talking about laundrymen, and like the monster of the week and being able to compare it to like Ghostbusters and X-Files. I love talking about that book. Uh, And I think that's taken the cake is like this sort of multi-horror supernatural thing that we're doing. I love drawing sci-fi because I can just kind of go crazy with it. Um, But the enjoyment I'm getting out of drawing Laundryman as it is, is, or yeah, drawing Laundryman. 
is uh, it, it's a, it's a, it's an immense enjoyment. I, I, I really like it. Um, but I, what I'll add on to that is my favorite thing to draw. And, and you'll notice there's, there's not, I, I'd say I have a much more majority of like dialogue and like character acting in my books as say compared to action. I really should probably start drawing more action, but uh, I really like drawing people talking and like communicating Lyndon's words like onto paper in the character's facial expressions and the little things that they're doing. That's where like, uh, like I feel I really shine and um, just being able to like show people the books that, that I've made that have that and have people react and go, well, I really kind of like understand what this character is feeling just by looking at them. Uh, I like talking about that too. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Well, yeah. I just to, to comment on that. Um, I mean, you have a couple of different scenes in this where you have folks sitting at like a dinner table, you have like folks in a diner. Um, and there's a, I'm, I'm not, I, I should be talking about comics as, as much as I do more knowledgeable about like art. I hear other folks talk about, well, they use a thick line. They use a thin line. They even simple stuff like that. And I'm like, yeah, I don't, I need to, I need to get better about that. But there's kind of, there's a certain like frenetic kind of energy to your work. Um, I thought it really lended itself well to the action scenes in this. But one of the things I really liked on is I felt you had a very interesting thing in terms of like body positioning, especially with like characters hands um, during just the simple talking scenes that I thought really communicated like a lot having to do with attitude and mood that I thought I really, really enjoyed about this, which it really gave me a sense of the characters relationships, especially when Wade and Brian were just talking and interacting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like if I if I could give any advice to any any artist who's where I'm at or or learning or just wanting to draw people, like uh, a baseline understanding of anatomy. Like, and when I say that, I don't mean like you don't. I mean a lot of people know the muscle groups and stuff and the names, but just uh, I don't. Um, just simply understanding how a body moves and what we do when we are emoting like just simply googling like stressed out face and when you see like a model doing a really stressed out face their whole body is doing something and every part of your body emotes when you're when you're feeling an expression or talking to somebody even if it's super subtle um and i find that's really important every time i'm drawing is to like read the line and and really and like understand what the character is doing and and draw what I would be doing if I was, if I was doing that. Like there's a scene that's, you mentioned the kitchen table where they're all sitting at the kitchen table eating. And like, I know at that point what certain characters are feeling, you know, whether one's uh, really happy or one's really suspicious or nervous. So I, I can draw that into the character's subtle movements while Lynn keeps the dialogue above board. So that like everything's supposed to seem normal, but the, you know, the reader can get a little clue or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, uh, you, you nailed it. Like, yeah, it's, it's exactly what's important to me there. So, yeah. And so, uh, well, thank you, Stephen. And uh, so, Lyndon, how about you in terms of like any particular type of, you know, genre or were there certain elements in particular about laundry men that you really enjoyed kind of, you, you know, telling that story, you know, whether or not it was in the, like if you were working with Steven for the panel descriptions or a certain visual you were trying to achieve together, or even in terms of the dialogue, was there something in particular that you kind of gravitate towards? 
Yeah. So I, I learned this about myself during the, throughout the three years that we were all locked inside of our houses. And um, during that time, Stephen and I and a, and a group of local and non-local comics creators, once a month, we'd meet at 11 p.m. do what we called 13 Horrors, which was that a group of us would, in 60 minutes, attempt to create a movie plot for a horror movie or an action movie. And the concept of it was you were always plus wanting one another. You couldn't t- you couldn't take away from someone's ideas. You had to add on to it. Okay. And so like like improv, did, you're yes ending constantly, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And the, okay. the goal at the end of the 60 minutes is that you have a complete story plot for a movie or, or for a movie that's essentially horror or sci-fi or action or whatever it is. And we did this month in and month out. And something that I learned about myself was that I could take or leave any of the action beats that we talked about or the, the major plot reveals. If there wasn't some sort of character relationship or development, I wasn't interested in it. I, I was constant. I constantly felt like the guy that is saying like, oh, this doesn't work. No, you guys need to think about the people. It's not just about the explosions. Um, and I, I'm, you know, that kind of got made fun of that at certain points. Um, <laughs> but and Steven's laughing because he knows that it's true. Uh, but so when we look at the laundryman as an example of that it's character driven like we talked about and i think that that's a a thread that i run through through a lot of my my work both with steven or with other artists and it's that if we're not if if it's all style no substance um it's not really my thing and so uh i maybe that's a product of you know the english degree again and all the literary work that you're forced to read that it's almost it almost feels boring but there's a lot going on if you can if you can look underneath the the subtext um so i'm sure that's bled into my comics writing work which is you know often primarily genre work you can't do a literary comic in the same way um so the the short version of the question that i've meandered about in is that i like telling stories with characters and characters that that change and challenge and provide sort of an emotional core it's not necessarily genre based at all okay that's awesome no thank you i appreciate that that's a that's a good answer (laughs) um well i i i can't thank you both enough for uh for being on here um thanks for sending the comic i really love i loved it i love the laundryman i uh i can't wait you know for more uh but for listeners you can go right now as soon as you're done listening to this, uh, if you're listening to it, you know, within the, especially within the, the month of February, I think your campaign will run to the, to the beginning of March. March 3rd, yes. Okay, mm-hmm. so um, March 3rd, the, you have until then. So hopefully you're listening to it within that window. You can go and uh, uh, click on the Kickstarter and get your own copy of Laundry Men and uh, back one of those tiers where you can get a lot of their other books, especially the Dead Work Collective, which I, I really do love, highly recommend. Um, it is uh, a great book. And then if you're not sold on The Laundryman yet, and I know um, you've heard how Stephen and, and Lyndon build it, then if you're uh, a person in my, my age group, like let's say late 30s, early 40s, and you know, you're a fan of stuff like, you know, if you, you always w- wished Hardcastle and McCormick would track down a werewolf, or if 
there was an episode of uh, Chips where they wait. They went chasing after a Wendigo. Then uh, I think Laundry Men is going to be like right up your alley. It is. It it kind of definitely has this detective comic feel with the supernatural elements and both Steven and Lyndon did uh, an excellent job. It's really a wonderful story. And if you just like action, then there's actually there, there's plenty of that in there as well. So Steven and Lyndon, thank you so much for coming on and talking to me today. Thanks so much course, for having thank us. You. Oh. Um, if you do listen to this podcast after March 3rd and you still want to get the laundryman, you can go over to our website at infinitestudio.ca where we will be having, we'll have that book up for pre-sale or sale, depending on what time you're checking out this podcast. Um, we're also giving away a digital copy of our 24-hour comics comic, When I Get Home. So you can get that on our website too, if you're curious about that. Totally free. It's, you can get that at infinitestudio.ca slash free comic. Um, but this has been so great. Thank you so much. We love talking about this book. <laughs> and I feel like a uh, uh, Zoom conversation has been long, has almost felt overdue. So thank you so much, Jimmy. No, I really appreciate you guys, you know, reaching out. And I, I tell folks, like, I'll do what I can. I like talking about, you know, comics creators, whether or not it's somebody who's, you know, writing for big two stuff, but especially indie comics. Um, I just I just love it. I, I love the stories. And yeah, so never, you know. I'll do what I can to support this community, you know, that entertains me and makes me think and that I love and, you know, like being a part of in my own small way. So thank you guys. Thank um, you so much. <laughs> so the laundryman on Kickstarter until March 3rd. Uh, I really appreciate you listening. And if you like the podcast, uh, you know, rate review, tell your friends, uh, subscribe, do all those things or, but, or just just come back and reach out and tell us, you know, if you liked us and uh, if you listened and what you thought. But uh, thank you very much to Lyndon Rachenka and Stephen Call and uh, check out the Laundryman. And uh, this has been Jimmy Gasparro for Comic Book Yeti's Cryptid Creator Corner. And I will see you next time. Thanks, everybody. This is Byron O'Neill, one of your hosts of the Cryptid Creator Corner, brought to you by Comic Book Yeti. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of our podcast. Please rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. It lets us know how we're doing, and more importantly, how we can improve. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of the Cryptid Creator Corner, maybe you would enjoy our sister podcast, Into the Comics Cave. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.